0: The Saskatchewan Healthcare Coalition is hosting the All for Public Healthcare rally in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, May 4th. It's free and you're invited. This rally is happening because our public health care system does not have the support it needs to meet the diverse needs of all Saskatchewan residents. For years, it has been underfunded, ignored, and hindered, so join Donna and I in person on May 4th in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for a walk, speeches, networking, and community building. Link for more information is in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Having your child apprehended as a result of poor lifestyle decisions is a horrific feeling. Today's guest, Jolene Witten, worked for Child and Family Services here in Saskatchewan, and she got lost in addiction along the way. After only 4 days on the job, Jolene was expected to to execute an apprehension solo. And that set the tone for the rest of her time with Child and Family Services. Soon after she started, she was also introduced to cocaine which turned into crack, which turned into a debilitating addiction that ultimately cost her her job and had her own children apprehended. In this episode, we talked to Jolene about her experiences in child apprehension and what it was like being lost in addiction in such a place. What's up, everybody? My name's Dan. I'm joined in studio by my wife, Donna. If you want to support the channel, hit that subscribe button, give us a like, drop us a comment. This is Hard Knocks Talks, your addictions podcast. Now, let's get into our conversation with Jolene Witten. What's up, Jolene? How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for reaching out, by the way. Is there anything that you'd like to say before we jump in? Um, you know,
1: I just, I want to say like, regardless of the field you work in and the positions that you're in, anybody can fall into addiction. And regardless Mm -hmm. of the stigma of what it is, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put.
0: You, uh, you were a, a child protection worker, right? Was that, was that your title?
1: My title was a case aid and emergency duty worker.
0: Okay uh, for child and family services here yes. in Saskatchewan. Yes. Like tell us how you got started in that.
1: Well, I mean, I've always been a people person and I like to see, I, I believe I have the perspective that I can see the good in people no matter what. And so, I mean, I, I always love helping people. I love being with people. Um, child and family services was never necessarily something that I saw myself doing. Um, prior to being in Child and Family Services, I mean, I, I did a little bit of everything. I worked with the elderly in a care home. I worked with the Canadian Mental Health Association. I worked in the school as an educational assistant. And then I worked in Young
0: Offenders. And and of course, you know, it's, it's hard to get on the show without having a history in, in substance use. Um, now... Tell us about, was that something that was in your life throughout all of this? Or is it something that just sort of became a problem after you got involved with Child and Family Services?
1: Um, No. So, I mean, as a child or like a teenager from probably about, I'd say, 15 to 18, I was using. I mean, never anything overly, like, over the top. Like, I did a lot of ecstasy, some MDMA. I used cocaine a few times. Mm-hmm. And then um I found out I was pregnant at 18 with my son and so I had quit everything until mm-hmm. I started working at Child and Family Services again.
0: Did you say you worked in justice? Yes. Yes, young offenders. Young offenders. Tell us a little bit about that like walking into something like that were you were you shocked at the things that you were seeing or was this like you were expecting that?
1: I was kind of expecting it. I mean, it it had its days. Um, I, I myself, I had a really good relationship with a lot of the youth that were in there. So I mean, I never necessarily had any problems mm-hmm. working there. I, I actually really enjoyed it.
0: Your dog's head is giant. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yes, it <laughs> is. He's a big boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he like takes up like a half of the screen. <laughs> so I'm, I, I, like, I guess what I'm trying to do here is I'm sort of trying to paint a picture of your, of your procre- of your progression, like professionally right so you 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 left from um working with young offenders into family services now tell us about tell us about that like why did you leave um leave that and go into what you went into
1: um so the reason i had left young offenders is actually there was a young boy who came in on intake who wound up having a seizure and unfortunately, um, when someone first comes in, they're kept in kind of like a segregation unit or were at that time. And none of us had keys to that unit. They had to go in from the control in the front. So we were radioing trying to get access to this boy to help him. And unfortunately, because of the time lag and that, it just it seemed like I was watching this poor kid seize for what seemed like forever. And I couldn't get in there to help. And it just it's that part became a little too much for me. And I just couldn't go back. Did
0: you Did you take any time off? And like, and did that did did that affect your life in any other way?
1: Um, I mean, I that was my first time ever dealing with a seizure. Um, I mean, it's something that like I've had first aid training, so it, you know I knew what I had to do, but I couldn't get access to them to do it. Yeah. So I mean, yes. I I didn't take any time off. I I was working just casual at that point, so I I can't even remember back then to tell you when I went in, but it was at that point where I started looking for another job.
0: Yeah. So off to the ministry you go thinking that things were going mm-hmm. to be better. Yeah, or more stable and I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So so tell us I mean I mean you told me before the show but for anyone who hasn't heard so you you became a a case support worker uh and and immediately you met coworkers and tell us tell us how your substance use got started again.
1: Um so it started off me, myself, and two of my coworkers went to go watch some male strippers in North Battleford for a night out.
0: Oh, the male and strippers! Af- they always do that. Oh yes.
1: <laughs> oh, I know, right? I should have, I should have known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we went out, and after a few drinks, it turned out that one of my coworkers had brought cocaine with her. Mm-hmm. And I think for myself and my other coworker, it it was you know why not? We've had a few drinks. You know, it's been so long for me since I did anything. It's not going to affect me. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we engaged. Let's mm-hmm.
0: so, uh, have a look at Rise North's comment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, thanks for the comment, Rise North. Uh says, after 15 years in the service field, I am ready to walk away. This job has broken my heart and kicked my ass so many times.
0: So, this, this case, case support worker, did you get into child apprehension, like, right away?
1: Yes, actually. So, how it worked is I started off as an emergency duty worker. I didn't start off as a case aide right away. And so for an emergency duty worker, how it works, like the training for it, it's unbelievable. You're by yourself. And so for the training I had, I was supposed to have two weeks where I shadowed someone and then two weeks where someone shadowed me. But my first week, I think I was on day four and the person who I was supposed to be shadowing had gotten into a car accident and a call came in where it was very obvious a child was going to need to be apprehended but I was by myself. So I called the on-call supervisor and was told I need to proceed and go anyways. So I'm out there four days into the job, no training, doing my first apprehension. By yourself? Yeah. By myself.
0: What's going through your head? Like,
1: I I didn't know what I was walking into. I mean, I like four days prior. I mean, we had a couple calls, but never an apprehension. And here, so this, your, this not, one,
0: not, Sorry, I get excited. So not only was this your first apprehension alone, it was your very first apprehension at all. Yes. And they didn't give you any sort of procedure to follow. Go knock on this door and take these kids away.
1: There's a Child and Family Services Act where I had to follow. And of course, I could call the on-call supervisor for support. Yeah. But I mean, for someone that has no experience in that field, and I'm going in there by myself, having the support of someone by the phone isn't enough. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah how did it go
1: the children were ended up being apprehended and i i mean it was a messy situation i i don't want to get too deep into it obviously because confidentiality and that i don't want to give out any details but yeah it was a messy one and it was one that stuck with me
2: did you have any support after that like did you have a degree for anything
1: no, nothing. You don't. You don't get that in Ministry of Social Services. Myself and my coworker, we had death threats, and someone posted on social media saying that he was going to come find us, find our kids, and put a hot one through our heads. And we got no debriefing. We got nothing. We get told, "Here's the EFAT phone number. You can call them and maybe get six sessions of
0: counseling." So tell us about how this affected your substance use. Now, was this something that you did occasionally for a little while, or or did like the availability of it through your coworkers plus the obvious trauma that you're taking on throughout this, like how, how did that all play together?
1: So it, it started out after that night, you know, me and my coworkers, we would have our girls night every couple weeks and that was our debriefing Mm -hmm. was us getting together and it kind of progressed from there. It went from, you know, every two weeks to every week to every couple days, and then it got to the point, you know, where you're, you're doing coke, your nose is so stuffed you can't do anymore. And I knew that smoking it was one of my coworker, one of my other co-workers' preferred methods. And mm-hmm. so I said, "Teach me how to cook it."
0: Because you you ended up leaving there, and then things things got worse. But what was the the boiling point for you? Like what where did it come to that you that you left?
1: I believe it was early 2022, I ended up getting a hysterectomy due to cervical cancer. Mm. And at that point, because I was off for six weeks, I had nothing to do. I was smoking almost every day. And at one point, someone came and left something at my house. I thought it was heroin. It wasn't. I thought, cool, I'm going to try it. It was fentanyl. Mm-hmm. and i had actually overdosed and if luckily if my husband wasn't home i would be dead he was left performing cpr on me for about i think about 3 or 4 minutes until the ambulance arrived mm. and it took 3 doses of narcan and um being shocked twice to get me back up
0: yeah wow now you you mentioned that there was some trafficking going on and stuff um
1: no it wasn't trafficking i mean like i would help like If I was out, I would help people score. I mean, I I myself wasn't trafficking, Mm -hmm. but I would point people into the direction. Of course, you know, if you're an addict and you're out partying with people and someone's out and they have cash, it's like, hey, I know where to get some. Yeah. yeah. And there were times where that would happen. I would go to work the next day or I would get a call and I'm out apprehending these people or these people's children because they were partying that night with me before.
2: And yet, like you mentioned, you had a, a child. I have two. You have two. And yeah. and like, if you don't mind at me asking, like, how old are your
1: kiddos? Uh, my son is 12 and my daughter's nine.
0: Yeah, she was sitting here relating with us. Um, we were out there like getting them to be quiet. And <laughs> I was sort of lamenting in here earlier. She's like, I get you. <laughs> I get you, man. I hear you. <laughs>
2: so, I mean, in the grand scheme of things and under the Child Protection Act and all that stuff, I mean, your kids were at risk of
1: apprehension, correct? Mm-hmm. My kids were. So um, after my overdose of fentanyl, the RCMP had called in an intake with me to my office. And I wound up having a file opened on myself. And my kids are placed with my parents for a place of safety.
2: And how were you treated by your, I presume, co-workers?
1: So it, it didn't come from anyone from my office. Um, the workers came from Saskatoon. Okay. Um, the first because investigator the I have. You're... Well, and see, here's the thing is my investigator was someone I had never met. And my ongoing worker was someone who had previously worked in North Battleford that I myself had worked with.
0: What was that like for you when that knock at the door came
1: it It was devastating you know i i in my head, you know because I worked with the system, I felt like i should I knew better or I should know how to hide it or i I guess I just thought I was untouchable, and obviously mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. was there also some sort of a sense of like knowing how challenging it can be, and the fact, like, the the goalpost often gets moved on people, and and people are basically set up to fail in, you know, obtaining their children back in their care. For you, that, like, I know, like, for myself, I worked in a firm where we we advocated for uh, families to get their children back. And I knew the uphill battle that I was facing the minute... Mm -hmm that happened you know so i just like that happened to us too i caved like Mm -hmm. i i just completely imploded and gave up like i was just like we are we're screwed Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh absolutely i i mean there were times where i couldn't get in touch with my worker for three weeks i just wasn't getting answered and i mean i myself like i i couldn't believe it because even like back when i was sober working in that field you know like that that wasn't heard of you know if someone is reaching out for you for help. You helped that person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it felt like I was just ignored.
0: Yeah. Did you ever come to a place when you were doing this work where you, um, you felt like you were, like, did you feel like you were doing good? Holy cow! Look at that big dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that lightened the mood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just says, "Like, let's keep it light here, Dan. Let's just keep yeah. it light." Yeah. So, but, but, anyways, like, because it's it's really challenging work, and and, and I, I obviously I've never done it personally, but I've heard enough stories and I've had enough conversations to know that like everybody gets into this work because they want to help, right? But it comes to a place where they realize that this system is so rigid and fractured at the same time that you really like there's not a lot you can do to help. So when you even started, before
1: I started using, I felt I felt a long time ago like we were helping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that continued on to the end then, like you, you knew that you weren't doing good, like in your heart kind of thing. Did did that, did that fuel your addiction?
1: I think so. It definitely did. Like, I mean, personally, I feel like the ministry doesn't care about putting families back together. I fully believe that they care about keeping kids safe, but they don't care about the parents and they don't really care about um, getting them together. Like there's no, they don't care about preventative measures. Mm-hmm. You can't reach out to the Ministry of Social Services and say, "Hey, I need help." They don't get involved until things are too late, and basically, your kid needs to be taken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Did you ever find yourself questioning that approach? And like, and and then when we talk about keeping children safe, like, okay, I get it, but what about the long-term trauma of being separated from their family? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that lack of familial support, like the the trauma that is just. Like, it, it's so, such an umbrella. Like, it, it, it
1: rips families apart, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I mean, once families are together, the ministry will maybe stay involved for a couple months after the kids are returned to the parents. But then after that, it's just ties are cut until the next intake comes in.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there's no follow-up to make sure that people are connected to supports.
2: Mm-hmm. And yet, kids entering foster system, like, I've I've heard stories about foster and obviously, like, some Horrible stories, but some of the some of the things I've heard about is like overloading houses. And then mm-hmm. people who have these houses end up with like an overabundance of support in a sense. So people that own the houses don't really do any of the work. There's all these uh support workers in 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 the home. Like I, I find myself questioning, like, why aren't we doing that within the actual birth home as opposed to putting them into foster, all that trauma? overloading the, the house and it just seems to be such an inept approach
1: mm-hmm. I, oh no and i i mean i totally agree like there were so many times where there's there's no placements available in the north battleford area so kids are being sent up north to bobelle or kids are being sent to regina and it's then you know like how do visits even occur because mm-hmm. now you're not only taking kids away from your fa their family but you're taking them out of their community away from relatives mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And, and you, there's you like, are and it's stuck but, in the middle,
1: yeah, yeah, and I mean, like there's so much funds that are going elsewhere where if these are put into preventative measures, mm-hmm. like so many families would have been saved, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like our family wasn't so far gone that we couldn't have benefited from at least an attempt, you know, but there was there was no attempt, <laughs> it was, yeah, no, it was, it was, no.
0: They, they, yeah, for us, I mean, they showed up at the door, and in twenty minutes, our child was was gone, and uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's a long story that our listeners have all heard before. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so,
2: how long has it been since you left the
1: ministry? I have it would have been it will be 2 years in September. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And tell us what was life like after you left? So you you left and almost at that same time when you left, your children were taken. Is that right?
1: No, they were taken while I was still technically there, but I was placed on an administrative leave.
0: So this all happened like right, like around in the same time, like your whole life got flipped upside down. Yeah. And and nobody and nobody came in to offer you any sort of assistance in any capacity at all.
1: No, I mean, not not work wise. I mean, the investigator I had was, I mean, of course, telling me to get like telling me what to do or what I needed to do. But the thing is, is that when you're working in that field and you're talking to the addictions counselors, you're talking to the psychiatrists, like the AA counselors, NA counselors, like every day from nine to five, and you have that relationship with them, how can you approach them and be like, hey, I need help now? I know for myself, that was my biggest struggle is I saw myself going downhill, but how can I reach out for help? And then of course, there's always the fear that you know, if I have that relationship with these people, I know my coworkers do. So how do I know that anything I tell them is not going to be relate?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you you left your 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 children are gone. You're unemployed. Um, then what?
1: I went downhill for a while. It, it took quite a couple. It, it took a few months for me to finally get my get my shit together and mm-hmm.
0: try and improve myself. What did those few months look like?
1: It was it was just empty. I sat in my bedroom all day long, smoking crack, only caring about what, when I can get my next fix. Mm-hmm. That was all I cared about. I felt too much shame and too much anger towards myself to actually go and visit my kids.
2: Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. I mean, my efforts to see my son were were thwarted, but then there was also that... It's it's like indescribable that that level of shame and guilt and yeah. there are really no words for it. Hey,
0: mm-hmm. no, there's not. Yeah, let's take a quick little break here, and uh so
2: Dan can say a whole bunch of words.
0: So I can say a whole bunch of <laughs> words. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. If you are struggling with the substance use of a loved one or have tragically lost a loved one to drug-related harms, reach out to Stronger Together Canada peer-led support groups by Mum Stop the Harm. If you are looking for help with criminal record suspensions, the Elizabeth Fry Society of Saskatchewan covers all associated costs for women or gender-diverse individuals to apply for criminal record suspensions, reach out to Chelsea at 306-668-0635. If you are a professional and wish to deepen your understanding of substance use disorder, check out the Ames SK Program through the College of Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan, designed to help you improve health outcomes for individuals with substance use disorder. To make contact or learn more about today's sponsors, check out our new merch, or if you want to show us some love and buy us some coffee, all of those links are in the show notes below. Now, I, I'm interested because, uh, like, as Donna was saying before, uh, it can be extremely challenging to to get your children back after an apprehension. Um, the goalposts can be moved or or, or you can slip or, or whatever. Uh, what did that look like for you when when you finally came out of that place, you know, where, where you said you felt hopeless and, and embarrassed and all of that? And like, what did that first step look like for you?
1: Um. Well, for us, the first step was, I mean, obviously, like we had gone, I think it was about three weeks without smoking and we were sent for drug tests. My -hmm. husband's came back, myself and my husband.
0: Okay, so you were using with your partner. Yes. Okay.
1: And so we were sent for drug tests and his came back clean and mine came back still positive. And it was devastating for me. Mm -hmm. like it had been about three weeks and you know like they say like oh well it only stays in your system for up to five days
0: even then that's a stretch
1: yeah and i mean and they just they wouldn't listen to me i was reaching out to doctors and because i I mean i had my hysterectomy i am a big girl so i mean everything it is gonna stay in my system longer but like it it just i wasn't listened to at that point i couldn't even get unsupervised access to my kids my husband could but Mm -hmm. i couldn't Mm-hmm. And so I mean that one also really set me back because I felt like even though I was doing what was asked for me, I could it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I was still showing positive. Mm-hmm. And it it took a long time. Like I think it took almost nearly a probably maybe four or four and a half weeks before I finally had that clean screen. And at wow. that point, it nothing still changed. And I think it took about two or three more clean screens before we could even have unsupervised access with our kids. Mm -hmm. Another couple more, and we got them for weekends. And then they were returned. My file was closed, and I never heard from them again.
0: That sounds like, in the big scheme of things, things went pretty well then for you.
1: Well, I mean, it did for a while after I got the ongoing worker. In the investigation phase, I mean, it was... I mean, I was also... I probably wasn't the easiest person to work with. I can definitely say that. Mm. I mean, I, I always said to my coworkers, like, you know, even while we were using or while we were drinking, it was, you know, we're going to be a lot worse than any of our clients would be if you try and come take our kids. Like you would be, I would be going off in handcuffs. Yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely was, I wasn't an easiest person to work with. Mm. Um, I mean, I any of the supports that they suggested to me, I wasn't comfortable going to because I already had that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um at one point I was self harming and was arrested under the Mental Health Act by the police and taken to the mental health for an assessment. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean it was a rocky road. After I finally we did get um did get clean and the drug test started coming back positive, then things were going smoother. But it's for the first probably like six months it was a rocky road. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we got we got coerced basically into signing um, uh, section nine, that was well, how long was ours? Nine months.
0: I don't remember yeah. any of that. Like I remember being in the office. I remember our worker saying that you know um, what did he say? He had to open the door because the smell of meth gave him a headache or something. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, fair enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, maybe you did. (laughs) You know, you'd never be a dick about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So.
1: And the way that things were going for us, it was so different than they were the way that we did things in North Battleford. Like, I mean, I was never offered a family service agreement was one thing. Like, I never had a case plan signed for me. So mm-hmm. I never knew, like, other than the odd text and telling me what to do, like, it nothing was clear and concise as to what was being asked of me.
0: Yeah. Do, do you think that you faced judgment and stigma because you were working for them? And like, do you think that they were trying to hold you to a higher standard?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And yet, and so, and then for my husband, like, I was being asked of all these things, like, they wanted me to go to addictions counselor. They wanted me to see a psychiatrist. Nothing in writing, of course, just what they were verbally asking for me. And they asked nothing of my husband. And he was living in the home and everything, but they never... He wasn't obligated to do anything. So there was definitely, like, they were holding me to
0: a higher standard. Yeah, they they treated Donna and I quite a bit differently, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once the files closed that that's it now they're not even checking in on you there's no sort of after follow-up preventative or what What did they a protection plan or anything like that mm-hmm. nothing so you're just no, I now haven't heard from the, them in the ministry's eyes yep. you're like wow she's like a million bucks now yeah did they uh what did they did they did anyone say like do you want to come back
1: <laughs> no I mean I the people that I had worked with and even some of them still like when I see them now They tell me they miss me and they say I should come back and do the emergency duty worker job and all that. And I mean, part of me wants to. Like, I feel like now that I've lived this, I feel like I would be a lot more of an asset to these families and actually being able to help them. Yeah. But according to the ministry's eyes, because I have that tarnish now on my record, it will never happen. Mm
2: -hmm. And even if you could... With the best intentions. I don't think I'd want to. But could you? Like, would would you be too bound by policy to to act in a way that you would feel aligns with your moral compass?
1: Exactly. I, I don't think I would be able to. Like, you know, I would go and I would see these parents that are struggling with addiction, and I would be being told by my supervisor to do an apprehension. And that's just not something I feel like I would be able to do anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that stood out in your mind or when, when when you were doing this even and 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 maybe now you have a, a bit even more clarity even. But like, are there some per- policies in particular that that stood out to you that were particularly toxic, that were particularly like unhelpful and maybe even harmful?
1: Um, you know, like there were definitely I wouldn't say policies, but there were definitely like odd cases I would find um like you know, there were some caregivers that have a criminal record three pages long, or people would be calling in for foster parents saying that these foster parents or these caregivers are using. Mm-hmm. and the ministry's eyes, and they said it once before, if we're gonna be drug testing our caregivers, then we're just not going to bother. Mm-hmm. So it's you know these people that sh- like family extended family members that are willing to care for these people or these kids, and if someone calls and gives false information, the ministry doesn't will just take their word for it. So they won't even drug test these like foster families or potential caregivers. And so it's just they're taking these kids away from extended family for no reason.
0: So what does your uh, what does your recovery look like then? Like on the other side of all of this. Um, and the, how
2: long have you been in recovery now, Julian?
0: Well, I can't even. So I'm coming up on. Now. She's just getting right in here. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs>
1: It'll be 13 months for me on February 20th. Yay. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: and, and what does that look like for you? I mean, being in the position that you were in, um, are you like, do you do you go to meetings or, or, or like, what does your recovery look like?
1: My husband and I, we lean on each other. Okay. And I mean, uh, after getting clean, I did regain like a lot of my friends that I did lose throughout my recovery. And they have all been really amazing. Like, and same with my mom. Like, for my recovery, I don't go to formal supports. I lean on my family. Mm-hmm. and i mean i've i've completely switched gears like i'm now instead of being in the social services field i'm a florist i'm a bit of an animal hoarder if you couldn't tell and <laughs> oh, i love have... my plants and so, <laughs> <laughs> so
0: you just got the two dogs
1: i have two dogs i i did have two cats i just lost one of my cats last week Oh no! and i have a bearded dragon
2: wow that's I... an unexpected <laughs> yeah Cool. <laughs> very cool
0: <laughs> yeah Susan in California says, congrats on 13 months. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So, so what else? I mean, is there, is there anything else that you want to hit on anything else you want to make sure that you, you throw in here before we let you go tonight?
1: No, well, I mean, it's kind of what I said at the beginning, like, you know, if you're in one of those positions where you feel like you need to be the one that helping people and you're struggling, just try and like go with that stigma and get the help you need before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And, and tell me now, um, what would that help? You know, would you knowing what the access to services looks like as a as a prevention, well, not a prevention worker, but as a as a case assistant, um, what would you recommend? Like, can you make any recommendations as to okay, I'm starting to slide. Who can I talk to? Because I mean, if you go to the ministry, so... they're just going to be like they're going to do what they did to you. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, if you don't want to reach out to the ministry for support, you can obviously contact um, like a psychologist and addictions counselor. I mean, the weights are absolutely terrible, at least here in North Battleford. But you don't need like um, trying to th- an, a, a, it, you can just go in and create your own intake. You don't need a referral mm-hmm. for any of the mental health and addiction services here. You can take NA and AA online. And one of the best things about that is if you are struggling at two o'clock in the morning where there's no help available, you can go and you can join an online class or NA class in Sydney, Australia. So, you you know, if you're struggling late at night, there are supports you can get. Um, seven Cups Online is an amazing online therapy that's free to use.
0: Seven Cups? I,
1: there's just, yeah, Seven Cups. Okay, tell us about that. It's a, so it's an online website i mean nobody you take a training so i mean you could be talking to just somebody like me and yeah. so it's just people that are trained to listen they're not going to give you advice but they're going to listen so it's just if you need an outlet that's an amazing one to go to
0: hmm. wow cool all right jolene thanks so much for joining us thanks for reaching out and being willing and uh i guess that's it we'll let you go my friend
1: awesome thank you guys so much for having me thanks jolene take care yes See you later. If you got anything
0: out of that, please click that subscribe button and give this episode a like. Uh, If you don't have time to sit and listen to us for an hour, you can always find our recordings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. But we love it when you join us on YouTube. So come check us out here. We go live at least twice a week, or it's, it's, who knows? Sometimes it's once a week. I don't even know what to say about that part anymore because it's all over the damn place. We do it as much as we can. That's all I got for you tonight. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Say, this is Hard Knocks Talks.